Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 21st episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm speaking to you today from the futon in the studio, which uh, is a term that I always use loosely. Last night was the first game in my new Wednesday night outdoor soccer league, and in addition to my team getting summarily dismantled 12 to nothing, I also felt a lovely little pop from the back of my calf, which then made walking almost impossible. It's apparently a grade 2 calf strain, and I'm in full-on recovery mode in advance of my departure next Friday for Hawaii. I'm sitting here with my legs under a couple pillows, trying to elevate it above my heart, icing it, compressing it. This baby's going to heal before all those hikes through the mountains and the volcanoes. So while walking is still difficult about 24 hours later, talking isn't. So let's go ahead and jump into our top stories. Uber, Uber, Uber. You are like the Cleveland Browns of the automotive world. Such an incredible loser, yet somehow people still cling to you, hoping to see that little spark of what they once found in you to like in the first place. But the hits keep coming, and switching sport references here, you refuse to go down or tap out. After firing Anthony Lewandowski last week since he refused to cooperate with the Google lawsuit filed against them, Uber lost their head of finance this week, continuing the steady march of executives towards the door. In total, more than a dozen executives or leaders have left Uber this year alone. Google's Waymo business decided that they hadn't peed enough in Uber's pool, um, taking the opportunity of the DMV's investigation into Uber's autonomous trucking business that I mentioned last week to announce that they, uh, Waymo, were also testing autonomous trucks, undoubtedly leaving several people at Uber to say, "Oh, come on, man, really? <laughs> Uber also disclosed its first quarter financial results this week, which shows that the company is continuing to burn through cash faster than MC Hammer. The company reported a $908 million loss in the first quarter, which is really terrible, unless you compare it with the $991 million loss they experienced in the same period of 2016. So, uh, by that math, you know, next year, maybe they'll only lose $480 million or so. Further, they apparently fired 20 employees this week after a long sexual harassment investigation was completed internally. 20 people! And add to that the 31 people who have been enrolled in mandatory remedial training and 7 more who have been offered a final warning... That brings a total up to 58 employees caught up in this whole scandal. And I'm not sure how many people are employed at or Uber's corporate headquarters, but that's a lot of people to have engaged in really terrible behavior, which cannot possibly speak well for the corporate culture of the organization. Oh, but the sleaze doesn't stop there. Apparently, after an Uber driver in India raped a customer, 
the company went and found the victim's medical records and shared it with a couple of executives, apparently leading them to believe that there was a conspiracy theory that the, another ride-sharing company in India was trying to sabotage them. Clearly, Uber thinks other companies would stoop as low as they would, which I really hope isn't the case, and, and the other company called Ola has called this accusation just despicable, which with which I completely agree. Uh, the driver in this instance was caught, convict, convicted, and is now serving life in prison, which is absolutely the least he deserves. But Uber is rightfully catching a lot of stick for the way it handled this whole matter. And it seems like Uber is absolutely dead set on scaring away all of their passengers. So, I I guess good luck to them. Uh, meanwhile, while n when normal internal combustion engines either die or the car they're attached to gets totaled, the normal end-of-life cycle finds the car either crushed or scrapped or parted out or sat in some sort of pick-and-pull junkyard. While some of these approaches will work for electric vehicles, you certainly can't crush lithium batteries or leave them sitting out somewhere. So a perennial question has always been what to do with these cars, or at least uh, the battery parts of these cars, when they reach the end of their life. Fortunately, Renault thinks it has found the answer, and they're demonstrating it in the UK. Um, the company has started taking old batteries used in their vehicles, uh, like the hilarious looking and hilariously named Twizy, and working with a company called PowerVault to recycle them into home energy storage solutions. PowerVault is similar to Tesla's Powerwall in that it will store energy produced by on-site generators like solar or wind and allows homes to use that stored energy before sucking power from the grid. They're also able to charge up during off-peak times, uh, like overnight, to help reduce the strain on the energy grid, powering the homes from batteries during popular Netflix streaming hours and other in energy-intensive things. Uh, right now, Renault and Powerwall are only targeting homes with solar panels for this test, and it's not really clear how well these already used batteries are going to function, because... I think anyone who's ever used an old cell phone can tell you lithium-ion batteries definitely stop holding a charge after a while. But Renault says that uh, after 8 to 10 years as uh, use in a battery for an electric vehicle, these vehicles can actually be used for a further 10 years inside a power vault. Uh, now what happens after those 10 years? Well, I guess Renault is hoping to kick that can down the road a little bit further. Um, there's also an interesting report in Bloomberg this week about the progress we've made uh, in cars in the last 40 years. If you think back to 1976, which uh, I actually can't do since I wasn't alive then, uh, I assume you'll remember disco and hippies and the oil crisis, and which led to some really terrible cars that were large, underpowered, yet still crazy inefficient. At the time, the median horsepower in the car was just 147, meaning an average of 15 miles per gallon and positively glacial 0 to 60 time of 14 seconds. Uh, today, on the other hand, average horsepower has almost doubled to 283. Average gas mileage has also doubled to 30, and the average 0 to 60 time has been halved to just 7 seconds. 
There's actually a, a fun chart on the EPA's Office of Transportation and Air Quality that points out that the 2017 V6 Camry makes just slightly less power than the 1976 Aston Martin Lagonda, which was the most powerful new car built that year. In my deep dive about how much power was just right, uh, and this was several months ago, I said that I thought the amount was somewhere near 300 or 330, which is only slightly ahead of where we are now for a median number. And it's impressive what engineers have been able to achieve in 40 years, and uh, obviously it'll be fascinating to see how cars uh, look in this comparison in 2057, when we're all, of course, flying around in electric cars with 2,000 horsepower that will do zero to warp speed instantly and produce sunshine and rainbows and exhaust. That's how progress works, right? Uh, if, if you thought Donald Trump's proposed tax hikes on imported cars from Mexico was bad, perhaps you'd like to move somewhere a bit more peaceful and serene. Somewhere progressive and cool, like maybe Denmark. Well, you may be surprised to learn that one, Denmark is fairly conservative for Europe, and two, the country has a 180% import tax on imp internal combustion cars, making them crazy expensive to buy. This is relevant because recently, electric vehicles have been exempted from the import tax, making them crazy cheap in comparison with normal gas burners. Thing is, the government has been rolling back these tax breaks in, in an attempt to, as they put it, even the playing field, uh, because Tesla was just crushing it, selling their Model S. Undoubtedly, they would have done the same with the much less expensive and forthcoming Model 3. Uh, while this rollback has not been immediate, but rather gradual, even a gradual reduction in the tax breaks has caused electric vehicle sales in the country to drop by a whopping 60.5% when compared to last year. The drop-off is so dramatic that some manufacturers are having to reevaluate Denmark as a growth opportunity. They may be pulling out of that market. I'm not saying that it's fair or that these rules exemptions shouldn't be rolled back, but you, you sort of have to think of the intent here. Was this ever rolled? Why was this ever rolled out in the first place? Uh, to fight global warming? Last year saw the two millionth electric vehicle hit the road, but globally, EVs and plug in hybrids, they only account for 0.2% of the overall passenger car sales. But to reach the point at which EVs will help limit the increase in global temperatures by 2 degrees Celsius, which is the aim of the Paris Accord that a major company or country just stepped out of, a whopping 600 million electric vehicles would need to replace their nitrogen oxide spewing internal combustion peers. So if fighting climate change, which I assure everyone is real, is really the focus of these tax breaks and incentives, Denmark provides a great example for why incentives and tax breaks exist. Simply put, they work to move electric vehicles, and without them, these cars are still too expensive to produce and sell and take the place of gas-powered cars. We'll see that change, but by most estimations, not for another 13 years, by which time, at least for our planet, it might be too late. 
So it's important to think about these uh, tax exemptions and these incentives and, and the role they play in helping make our planet a greener place. That's it for this week's top stories. Let's jump into some quick hits. Elon Musk and Tesla got pissed off this week when AAA came out swinging about the cost of repairs to Tesla vehicles. The insurance company said that they were raising rates by as much as 30% in some cases simply because whenever repairs needed to be made to Model S and Xs, they cost not only an arm and a leg, but a falcon wing and a fair deal of frankincense. Uh, Tesla fired back that AAA's claims were, quote, severely flawed and not reflective of reality, end quote also claiming that the insurance company compared the S and X models to other vehicles that weren't remotely peers, including specifically a Volvo station wagon. Sorry, Tesla, but the Volvo V90 station wagon is actually as close to a peer as you can get to the weird not-a-minivan Model X, and it's a much, much better and more attractive car, despite being not electric. Like it or not, there's nothing Tesla can do about it except make their cars cheaper to repair, which is like telling a pharma bro to make his drugs cheaper for seniors to afford. Volkswagen is on a bit of a wagon winning streak since introducing the Golf Sport Wagon and Alltrack. The Alltrack, which is basically a jacked up, plastic cladded version of the Sport Wagon, was meant to steal the Subaru Outback's lunch money, which it has so far failed to do. The Outback sales have continued to soar with 16 months straight of sales growth while the Alltrack has started trailing off a little bit, which is not good for a recently introduced car. There's probably a bit of dieselgate fallout here at work, but the good news for V-Dub is that the Sport Wagon has picked up some of the slack, selling more and more each month. Since their debut, the Golf Wagons have started comprising four out of every ten Golf sales, further indicating that the Wagon Renaissance is in full swing. Harley-Davidson have selflessly set a goal of increasing new motorcycle registrations by 2 million in the next 10 years. Undoubtedly, they'll want these new riders to buy one of their bikes, but they have a fair few hurdles to jump before they achieve their goal. First being that the average age of motorcycle riders is 45, and the average new bike buyer is 50. So to get there, Harley is starting small, and by small, I mean small town. Specifically, the town of Ryder, North Dakota, population 84, where Harley has registered every single resident as a licensed motorcycle rider. The problem is, it looks like from all the publicity for the stunt that most of the residents of Ryder are already 50-plus, so maybe they aren't quite making the headway that they'd hoped for. We learned this week that Faraday Future, maker of the totally definitely real FF91 electric luxury car that will apparently be racing up Pike's Peak somehow, managed to be so incredibly messed up that one of the world's best auditors decided to cut their losses and drop them as a client. According to some emails obtained by Jalopnik, KPMG, one of the big four accounting firms, decided in November of last year that it wasn't worth the time or hassle the deal with a corporate structure that basically didn't exist, but included a $60,000 a month lunch budget. It's a smart move by KPMG since Faraday can't possibly have that much money with which to pay them for their services, which they most definitely need. 
You may recall that a couple weeks ago I mentioned that Toyota has pumped 350000 bucks into a company called Cartivator, who have plans to build a flying car sometime before the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. They're hoping this car can actually fly up and have someone light the Olympic torch at the Olympic Park, but all signs are pointing to that being a bit of a long shot right now. A video was posted this week of the company's initial test to fly their car, which is another term I use very loosely. Test did not go well, with the flights looking almost exactly like my first efforts to fly my own drones. One crash was hard enough to bend the frame on the car, which, again, term used loosely. It's really a large quadcopter with some chain-link fencing around the rotors and quite literally basketballs as the landing gear. You'd think, with 350 grand of Toyota's money, they could come up with something that looks a little more well-engineered than what a backwoods hillbilly could create in his shed in a weekend's time. Now, in order to solve the rampant speeding occurring along a specific street in England, resident Jean Brooks became a vigilante on a mission. She has generated both incredible results and some great news footage by slowing drivers down armed with a hairdryer. Since it looks remarkably like a radar gun, Jean maintains that she has never seen more brake lights and that she's restored peace to her neck of the woods. This is also despite the fact that she looks nothing like the police officer, but rather a British grown-up honey boo-boo. Now, let's look at some new cars. Aston Martin has set itself an ambitious timetable for releasing a new car pretty much every year. Uh, they have the next seven years planned out and anticipate a debut each year with a seven-year lifespan, so they'll just keep the ball rolling with updated models every year. Uh, up first are the already debuted DB11 and then the Vantage and the Vanquish, and they'll come out with the DBX in 2019, but in 2020 things are set to become very interesting. Uh, that's when Andy Palmer, Aston Martin CEO, says they will launch a mid-engined Ferrari 488 and Lamborghini Huracan competitor, which would also slot in between Aston Martin's front-engine Grand Tourers and the Valkyrie Halo car. This uh, is bread-and-butter territory for the Italians, so it makes sense that Aston Martin, a premium sports car manufacturer with racing heritage, would probably want to compete in this space. Uh, we don't have any word on when we'll get a look at this car, but it will probably be absolutely beautiful. We don't often hear of new vehicles from this manufacturer, so when we get one, you know it's kind of special. The thing is, this one is a bit weird and wild. Uh, NASA has rolled out a concept Mars rover that looks like a mix between Batman's Tumblr and the exploration vehicle from the Mass Effect video games, if anyone knows what I'm talking about there. Uh, it looks outrageous and futuristic and straight from a movie set, which is probably about the only place it would actually be useful. Uh, it's a nice bit of theater, but any actual Mars vehicle should probably come after we have a solid plan for how to get to the planet in the first place. Uh, since new car news is a bit sparse this week with no auto shows or big debuts, it's worth mentioning that Tesla has issued its first teaser for the Model Y, the compact crossover that will sell a billion vehicles in no time, I'm sure. 
what we didn't while we didn't learn much from the heavily shaded teaser except that it's shaped an awful lot like pretty much every other compact crossover out there apart from the fact that it doesn't have any side mirrors uh, this has been one of Elon Musk's major gripes with cars. Side mirrors affect aerodynamics, but they're required by safety regulations. Despite the fact that cameras, along with small screens inside the vehicle, can do the job just as well, if not better, offering a greater field of view. The uh, rationale for the safety perspective is that, oh, well, what if your camera goes out, then you don't have a side mirror. Well, to counter that, how many cars do you see driving along with broken off or busted side mirrors? I would contend that there are probably more of those. Anyway, um, we'll see what happens when uh, the car actually gets a production version. But Elon has been so far uh, ineffective at changing safety regulations. Maybe if his uh, boring machine, which is the, the tunnel digging machine, it's not that boring... Um, collapses Los Angeles will have reached uh, permanent evil genius status enough to leverage his way uh, into uh, that safety conversation. Um, in obituaries this week, we do have a couple. Um, the deadliest race in all of motorsports took place this last weekend. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, of the tourist trophy on the Isle of Man, which is nearing 300 total fatalities over the course of the race's history. Unfortunately, this week it added another name to its list as English writer Davy Lambert died of injuries he sustained in a crash during the race. Uh, this was Lambert's first time racing in the Tourist Trophy, though he's apparently been racing on the same Isle of Man circuit since 2014. His death was the only one this year, though the race claims, on average, two lives every year. Uh, the Snaefell Mountain Course, which has hosted the Tourist Trophy every year since uh, 1911, I believe, is home to high speeds, jumps, narrow streets, and unforgiving stone walls, which make an, a, just a perfect recipe for danger. Uh, Davy Lambert was 48. Um, automotive designer Tom Tiarda passed away this week at the age of 82, and if his name doesn't sound familiar to you, uh, don't feel bad. It certainly didn't to me either, though I know his designs very well. Um, Tom was born the son of a Ford car designer from the ne Netherlands, and the apple really didn't fall far from the tree. Uh, Tom designed cars from the timeless Innocenti 950 Spider to possibly the most beautiful and certainly the most steel Corvette ever, the Corvette Rondine. Uh, he had a distinct style which he applied to everything from the Ferrari 330 GT to even the 1972 Ford Fiesta. Um, but he's most well-known for the Fiat 124, which was just reborn by the Italian brand last year, and the De Tommaso Pantera, which is that one car you always mistake for an old Lamborghini or Ferrari, but is actually something completely different and completely awesome. Uh, in a time when uh, even a Civic features 13 feet of design on a 10-foot car, Charda's clean, crisp lines and elegant style, I think, are going to be really sorely missed. Um, again this week, I didn't have time to put together a deep dive about how I got into cars, and I'm going to try to keep these podcasts shorter 
uh, in general moving forward. So I'm going to jump uh, straight forward to uh, our last segment here. And instead of a call to action this week, I wanted to share a story that I read about a man from Dixon, Illinois, whose quick actions may have saved a man's life. Uh, Randy Tompkins and his wife were out for a drive in Randy's pickup when a blue sedan rolled through a red light and began heading straight for his pickup. Uh, Instead of honking and extending his least polite finger at the sedan's driver, which likely would have been the first choice for many drivers, uh, Randy looked close and noticed the sedan's driver was clearly in a state of distress. Randy's wife Heather is an EMT and has a history of seizures, So he recognizes one when he sees it, and that's exactly what he was seeing when he looked closer at the sedan's driver. He thought quick and acted quicker, um, pulling over and parking his pickup, then running to the sedan and jumping through its passenger window. Randy jammed his fingers down the man's throat to prevent him choking on his own tongue and jammed the car into park, park, uh, staying with the man until paramedics could get him to a nearby hospital. Randy's heroics are a great reminder that not everything is always as straightforward as we think sometimes. Whereas most drivers wouldn't have given the sedan's driver the benefit of the doubt, Randy astutely observed a problem and took it upon himself to jump into real danger and help someone in need. And although I'm not sure this has ever been said before, this week, let's all try to be a bit more like Randy. And with that, I'm going to thank you for listening, and of course, thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I've been inspired to look up clips of the De Tommaso Pantera after the death of its designer, Tom Chiarda, so here is a clip of that beautiful vehicle. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. <laughs>